Well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well this morning, encouraged. I'm excited about tonight, Carly. I'm super excited, man. It's going to be amazing. Scripture. Scripture. All the way through. With that in mind, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Yeah, that's a big cheer. When Pastor Brad said I was preaching on 2 Thessalonians, I didn't cheer. I had a different... I had a different reaction. If you are familiar with 2 Thessalonians, there's, it's three chapters. Um, it really mimics and reflects the first book. There's not a lot of difference. You have a church in Thessalonica that's being persecuted. You have um, in, in a lot of talk as far as eschatology, end times, when, uh, when is the day of the Lord? When is Jesus returning? And then we have some of the dynamics as far as what that looks like in the body of Christ. So the first book and the second book are not much different. Uh, we're gonna be in 2 Thessalonians though and we're really gonna work off of a theme of how Paul described the church and how that applies to us. And so uh, we're gonna be in a lot of scripture, most of it actually outside of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, but it's going to support the concept and what Jesus um, is speaking through Paul, what Paul is saying and encouraging them. So we're gonna try something else new today. If you would stand with me, and we're gonna read scripture together. We're gonna stand and read scripture together. We're gonna be in 2 Thessalonians chapter one. We're gonna read verses three through five and 11 and 12. And so uh, Becky Rich was nice enough to make a slide for us. There we go. So if you would read with me. It says, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness and all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. And then verse 11 and 12. So we keep on praying for you asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your life prompts you to do, your faith, I'm sorry. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The reading of his word, you may be seated. As Pastor Brad introduced 1 Thessalonians last week, the story is out of really Acts 17. And in Acts 17, we read that Paul, Silas, and Timothy here and there, he's kind of with them, he goes back and forth. They're on their second missionary journey, and Paul gets to the church or goes to Thessalonica. And as per his custom, as Pastor Brad has taught in the past, he goes straight to the synagogue and preaches there. Uh, he's there for three weeks, and it says that God-fearing Jews and Gentiles were converted. But while he was there, there were Jews that were jealous of the ministry of Paul and what he was preaching. And so a riot started to take place, and uh, Paul had to escape to Berea, which is just south, southwest of Thessalonica. And even while he was at Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica followed him down 
to Berea, and while he was there, created more problems, and so Paul had to leave the region, and eventually gets to Corinth, where he writes 1 Thessalonians, and as per this year, and the focus of preaching through the uh, year of the apostles, and going through the epistles, we're trying to preach through them based off of when they were produced. And so 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, they, there's not a lot of gap as far as time. Most scholars think only a few months occurred in between. And as Pastor Brad preached last week, the f- church in Thessalonica, they had no Bible to hold. They didn't have YouTube to go and look up sermons. Um, they were completely at the mercy of the testimony of Paul, Silas, Timothy for their understanding of the work of Christ. And so that's the context of what we're preaching on today. We're going to hit on that here in a second, but as per every good educator, and if you know when I preach, I always have a learning target. And so when I was a teacher at Stark, you would have to display what the students were supposed to learn, and then your administrator would come in, and if they didn't have it, they would just look at you and write some stuff down on the clipboard. You never knew what they wrote down. It was a terrifying process. And so I don't want you guys to write down anything about me mean. So our learning target for today is to learn from the example of the uh, Thessalonians and to view hardships and difficulties as God's means to build faith and love for one another. Faith in God and love for one another. All right. With that in mind, we're going to read 2 Thessalonians, verse 1, 3, and 4 again, and we'll get into the message. It says this. Dear brothers and sisters, We can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness and all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. This word flourishing is the only time it's actually used in the New Testament. It's not used another time and it's not just marginal gains. We're talking about There is a great amplification of their faith in God. And when we think about it, it kind of is is a little hard to understand or even for us to relate to. So let's try to, you know, for, for a second, try to put ourselves in their shoes. We have a church that's starting in Thessalonica. Most of these people were brought up in a pagan culture, polytheistic, Um, I don't know if there was a temple in Thessalonica. We know of one in Corinth. We know of one in Ephesus. But we we can assume that there's worship going on, sacrifice going on, as per the pagan culture, a lot of sexual immorality in this worship. And so there's a worldview that is very foreign to what we understand. It says that Paul went to the synagogue, and so we can assume that he's speaking to people that have at least a Judeo version of God, one God, the law, and he's speaking to people who understand at least an Old Testament view of God, but they're still being grown up and, and saturated in a culture that is very different. And so you have three men that come to their city and say that the Messiah has come, and that his name is Jesus, and that this man Jesus was brutally murdered, put to death on a cross by the Romans, but the grave could not hold him, and he rose again, 
and by faith in Christ, you can have freedom. The atonement of Christ, the blood of Christ, covers all sin, tears down strongholds, makes one whole. And we know that in Christ, the resurrection of the dead will take place. I preached, I don't know what, three or four months ago. You might remember it, you might not. I remember it because I was here. <laughs> Pastor Brad's preached since then. I t keep notes, you guys might keep notes. I remember things that Brad's preached on years ago. You might do the same. These people had three weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks to completely dismantle potentially what their worldview was, three weeks to restructure it on the testimony of three strangers. And then persecution came. I don't know if you've ever led anyone to the Lord or discipled anyone. I would assume you would not want them to suffer persecution and harm the first thing that they experience as a new believer. I don't know if that's the model of what we say, hey, uh, follow Christ, get baptized, we're excited that you're a part of the body of Christ, let's get discipled, and then hey, I'm gonna be praying that you suffer. I'm gonna be praying that you go through the sufferings because that's the very way that God will produce a deeper faith. I think sometimes we're in a poor spot. We have so much information that we don't ever see anything in its simplistic beauty. The church in Thessalonica, they just believed. They had a testimony that they couldn't refute and they just believed. We need proof, we need so much evidence, we need so much to convince us, and they believed in Yeshua. So as they went through suffering, they probably thought it was normal Right, three weeks in, all this upheaval, what's the big deal? All of a sudden people are against them. It's now normal, this is what being a Christian looks like, people, there's pushback. But for us, we might have a different view of suffering. And my question is, is what is your mentality towards the trials that you go through? When you go through something difficult, do you see it as the means and the way that God is gonna produce more faith and fruit through you, or do you look at it as if God has let you down? God wants to use the very trial and hardship that you are enduring as the means to grow your faith and to grow your love. And it's not like we don't have a model for this. The one we trust, the one we devote ourselves to, the one we worship, Jesus, is the perfect example of this. I have a bunch of scriptures today, if for nothing else, I don't, I don't, I don't have the cool fill-ins like Brad does on the back of the bulletin. If you would like to just list these verses, this honestly is kind of a personal guide of my own reflection of when going through hard things, of just biblically how I go about it. And so as the church of Thessalonica went through suffering, we're just taking that theme and preaching through it. And so I take comfort in the fact that Jesus has gone before us and has suffered. In Matthew 4, verse 11, 
we read about the story uh, in the previous verses of Jesus being tempted. He was baptized, filled with the Spirit, and Luke, it says that he was by the Spirit, led into the desert, goes into the desert, tempted by the enemy, by the devil. He's tempted in three different ways. He's fasting for 40 days. He's tempted to change rock into bread to take care of his physical need. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of the mouth of God. The second temptation, he's taken to the top of the temple and Satan quotes scripture, he says, jump off. And he quotes from Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you, that they will keep you from striking your foot upon a rock, that they will lift you up. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He takes him to the third place where he shows them the kingdoms of the world. And he says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of this authority. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. For the Bible says to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then in verse 11, we read this. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Hebrews 1, the last verse says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus had a level of suffering that required angels to come and minister to him. That does not diminish his divinity. At the, at, in the very least, it promotes his humanity. And I can take comfort that just as Jesus was ministered, by angelic beings that we, by faith, can receive the ministerial work of angels that are set apart for that ministry for us. Jesus in Matthew 26, we know of his body being destroyed on the cross, but while he's in the garden, we can see and read the anguish that he's going through. He says things like, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Have you ever gone anything, through anything, where you, probably by yourself in a dark place, are crying out to the Lord, my soul is being crushed right now? And Jesus, in his, in his humanity, would you let this cup pass from me? But where does he land? Not my will. Not my will, but your will be done. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet did not sin. Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as me. There's nothing that I'm going through, no hardship, no trial, no temptation, that I can look up and say, Jesus, you just don't get it. And as much, as much as I wanna pass the buck and say, Jesus, you don't know what I'm going through, he does. And he didn't sin in it, he was obedient to the Father in it, We have a Savior who has gone before us, 
who has gone through it. Hebrews, next chapter, chapter five. I'm getting these a little bit out of order. We'll come back to the other one here in a second. Hebrews five, verses seven and eight. It says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears. Have you offer, ever offered prayers and pleadings with cries and tears? Well, guess what? Our Savior has as well. To the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Verse eight, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Are we talking about the same Jesus here? Why, like, why does he need angels to minister? Why does, why does he need to learn obedience? Because he's fully human. It doesn't, again, take away that he's fully God. We have a savior that I can go before the throne room and I can say, Jesus, I praise you because you know exactly what this feels like. And he's conquered it all. I was hoping for more than one amen on that, but okay. <laughs> Maybe y'all are waiting for tonight. I get it. Y'all are waiting to really work. Okay, I get it for worship tonight. Hebrews 12, one through three, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then here's our task, consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, have you ever read the passion of Christ and thought Jesus is joyfully walking up Golgotha because he loves us that much, because he wants to obey the Father that much, for the joy set before him? And so my first point, I have two points. I'm not very complicated. If I have three points, be worried because I'm overthinking the thing. I've got two points. Jesus is not ignorant to what you are going through. Actually, he understands better than you can comprehend. So how should we look at our trials, our suffering? And I, I want to be really clear. I know the Thessalonican, Thessalonian I don't know if I'm supposed to add the icon. The Thessalonian church, I know they were experiencing physical persecution, right? And we might not see that like for like as far as what we're going through. But I would submit this, based off of how the enemy works and based off of the culture that we live in, we are dealing and working through an environment and a culture of tension. We have so much information. We have so many sides being taken. We have so much disunity, and that has infiltrated the church, it's infiltrated the family. And while we might not have the physical wounds of persecution, I would submit that because of how much stimulation we have mentally of all of the information, there is a war taking place based off of the tactics of the enemy using the world at his means to discourage, to pull us away, to tempt, that there is a level of 
trial suffering. I would submit that anything as a believer, anything that you endure that creates tension, dysfunction is not of the Lord. Anything that does not bring peace. And in the atonement of Christ, perfect peace is available. So red flags for me go off when peace is not what I am experiencing. It could be from sin, could be from pride, it could be from shame, it could be from all sorts of things. We live too often like, well, that's just who I am. That's my personality. Your personality's carnal. Just because you tell me that's who you are doesn't mean I have to say, well, that's cool for you. No, there's a sanctified version of each of us that Christ wants to atone, redeem, and make like himself. So if we sit and say, well, that's just who I am, accept me. And I'm not talking about the world. Stop, stop thinking outside of these walls. I'm talking in here. The world is gonna be what it's gonna be. We're not to judge the world. Why are we consumed by the world going off its rocker? Welcome to history. Why are we not consumed that the church doesn't look like Jesus? We clap, but are you willing to get in your closet? Are you willing to get on your face and say, God, show me what's not of you? Are you willing to humble yourself, tear down strongholds by the power of the Spirit and have his peace? We want healing for physical things, but we don't want healing for the heart because our pride tells us we don't need it. We're a suffering people. That's not what he died for. That's not what he died for. It's not what you died for. The trial, the struggle, the hardship you're in, it's not too much for you if you are in Christ. And honestly, it's the very place, it's the exact target where you can do business with God. It's the exact spot. God tears down his people. God rips off the flesh. Faith and obedience can lead to holiness and healing. But there's another side, lack of faith. If you're in burden and despair, I promise you that's not of the Lord. If you, I, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but if you guys, if we could just, if we could just have a sensitivity by the Spirit, or the things that don't feel right, we're just like, okay, that's not right. Like the Spirit's leading us that it's not right. And so then we go before the Father and we say, Father God, would you just reveal by your Spirit what is not of you? That's where taking every thought captive comes into play. And then those strongholds keeps getting torn down. And then the peace of Christ, which passes all understandings, will fill your heart and your mind. All of this is predicated on if you believe that he can actually heal. Like, it, 
do you believe that he is who he says he is? And my question is, how much do you believe? I was watching The Chosen the other night. I know people have different thoughts on The Chosen. Don't judge me. You're writing in your clipboards. Oh, he watches The Chosen. I like The Chosen. Some people don't like The Chosen. Don't, don't. So we're watching The Chosen. It's the season finale. And um, the very end is when Peter, Peter walks on, well, Jesus walks on water, then Jesus calls him out, out of the boat, and it's a dramatic scene, and Peter's walking, and he's terrified, he's, his eyes are on Jesus, but as he gets closer, you know what happens, he starts looking at the wind, he starts looking at the waves, and what happens, he starts sinking, and Jesus in his mercy reaches down, <laughs> like Jesus didn't have to reach down, you ever think about that? Jesus, he just, well, you didn't have enough faith, you know, see ya. <laughs> Y'all don't like that version. <laughs> Jesus reaches down in his mercy, draws him back up out of the water. But what does he ask Peter? And he said, why did you have such little faith? I don't like that question. In my mind, there's 11 dudes in the boat who never got out of the, out of the boat. Like, what about them? Like, did I not get out and trust you enough to walk this far? Can I not get a little, like, an attaboy for that? <laughs> Are you okay with Jesus' question, why don't you have more faith as long as he fixes the thing you're going through? Are you okay with him saying that to you, knowing there's more out there, knowing there's a, a faith that actually looks at the wind and the waves and sees calm? Are you okay with Jesus saying, why do you have such little faith as long as he fixes your problem? The same Jesus who said, why do you have such small faith is the same one that said you can look and say to that mountain, get up and move. He's the same Jesus that looked at the tree and told his disciples, uproot itself and thrown into the sea. By faith, there is a Christ-likeness and a fullness of God that the things of this world grow strangely dim. And the very trial that seems to overwhelm you you will no longer recognize it as a trial, but as an opportunity to have the Father. But we live so much just begging for Jesus to fix it, and he's just desperately wanting us to have more faith. My second point is Jesus has the power to take your greatest hardship and redeem you through it. In the, in the baseball arena, for those who don't know, that's kind of my background, and you know, I remember growing up, and you're always jealous of the kid that had the nicer bat. I had to share a baseball bat with my brother. It was a big, long family affair to figure out which bat to choose. I remember to this day, we picked the green Easton, worked out pretty good, but, but there were nicer bats out there. 
And you'd, you'd think to yourself, man, if I could hit this good with this bat, imagine if I had that bat. I fish. Man, if I can catch this many fish with this setup, what if I had the real nice rod and reel? You can take it wherever you want it to go. If I had this car, imagine, you know, if I had this, if we all, you know, if I had, if I had that, think about how much, how much better. If Jesus destroyed the power of sin and death on the cross and the grave, how much more can he take care of what you're going through? Like, think about it. If you transfer your thought from what you're going through to the grave and the cross, that's why fear is destroyed in perfect love. I have three warnings, four promises, and then we'll, we'll close for this morning. Three warnings about how to endure um, by faith and what that looks like in Christ. My first warning is this. There are different results depending on how you respond to what you're going through. There's different results. We read James 1, 2 through 4, considering it pure joy, my brothers, because the testing of your faith, what does it do? Here's the results. It develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So there's a, there's a result of completeness. In Hebrews 12, verse 7, it talks about how in Christ, when we are disciplined, we can endure it as a son, as an heir. God is not treating you any way other than he would treat his children for what child is not disciplined by his father. But in Mark 4, we see the other side. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. If your tension, I need you to hear this, if your tension is not engaged by having faith in Christ, your faith will not grow. Your faith in Christ excuse me, can only grow in suffering if Christ is the means by which you navigate your suffering. If you're wanting your faith to grow, but you're doing it in your own strength, you have no root. And when more suffering comes, you're just gonna look and turn to God and blame it on him. My second warning is you need to discern your own part in your trial. You might be the very reason you're going through something hard. In 1 Peter 4, it says this, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Realize we play a part in all this too. 
We need to humble ourselves and come before the Lord and saying, God, I know I'm going through this and I know you're sovereign over it, which is a massive part. If God's allowing it, then I can trust that what's in it is for my good and his glory. So then I can humble myself and I'll say, you know what, Jesus, what are you trying to transform in me in this? Not how much can I, can I guard up and not let you in in this process. Actually, I can humble myself and say, what is it about me? And the Lord will give you peace if it's not something in you. The Lord will reveal that. But it's so quick, we're so good at saying, they're the hardship. That's the hardship. When the whole time he's saying, no, 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 no. That's, that's the object of it, but I'm trying to change something in you. You need to discern your own part. <clears throat> and the excuse, I'll say it again, I'm saying, well, this is who I am. That's not of the Lord. That is not redeemed words. That is not spirit-filled thinking. Our last warning is you cannot combat suffering by faith without the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In 2 Thessalonians 2, later on in the chapter, he praises them, y'all clung to what I said. Y'all clung to my one letter and this is my second letter. Think about that. We have these people who are being persecuted. They've had three weeks and one and a half letter. They just got the second one. And that's all they have. And they believe and they trust and their faith is growing. Faith cannot develop without scripture. I see so many people suffering asking God, where are you? And they don't sit, they, they might check the, the Bible app box, but do they sit in the verse that says that they need to transform and humble themselves? Do they sit in the verse where Job is in despair, just throwing dust on himself, broken? I just picture Jesus next to me knowing my brokenness, throwing dust on himself, sitting in it, knowing that he will restore it, knowing that he will bring his glory out of it. But that's the faith. That's the faith that takes us to his life beyond. So I have four promises. Four promises to conclude on. Hopefully they're an encouragement to you. Each one of these has been a massive part in my own just, just sitting with Jesus. Y'all, what if we just sat with Jesus for a little bit, huh? That'd be a good thing. So my four promises. The first one's in Philippians 1. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. If you persevere, God will finish the work. If you stay and you sit and you humble yourself, God will finish the work. If you run, if you're weak-rooted, if the pressures of this world make you wither, that plant doesn't just spring up later on. 
He will finish his work. That's what he's promised. Our next verse, 1 Peter 5, 10. It says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you suffered a little while, listen to this. You, he will restore, support, strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. You will suffer. <clears throat> I've told my kids, I don't know if I've already said it in this sermon, I get my sermons confused. I've told my kids before, you will suffer for Christ. At some point, if you haven't suffered yet, you're gonna go through a dark time. Theologians say there's a dark night of the soul. You're gonna go through something that takes you to the point where you choose Christ or you're out. But the promise of God is after you have suffered, he's going to restore, he's going to support, he's going to strengthen, and he will place you back on a firm foundation. Romans 8, 35 through 37, who, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, God, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says this, no, no, no. When those thoughts of, of being overwhelmed come in, no. Do you know why? Because we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loves us. Matthew 11, Jesus inviting us right now into this. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wanna conclude this message by praying the prayer that Paul prays for those of the church in Thessalonians. Would you stand as we pray together? This morning, you might desperately be at your wit's end. Would you just submit yourself to Christ? Will you just humble yourself knowing that he wants to restore you? Will, your, will you look at your trial as an opportunity for your faith to grow? You might not have a big, massive blimp on the radar, no pun intended with what's going on right now. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why my mind went there. You might, have a big, you might not have that big thing in your head with what's going on in your life, but you might have small things that the Spirit is saying that needs to change. Do you have the faith to let them in there and maybe change who you are? Maybe change your interests? Maybe change the very thing that you actually kinda like about yourself? If you seek God and ask by the Spirit to reveal and, and to want to like, like approach God, he's gonna meet you in that. We don't have a God that makes it hard for us to get to him. He's not in the, he's not in the, it's not his business to push us away. As long as we come in humility 
Let's pray this together. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.